0: Hi there, and welcome to Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after loss. On today's show, we'll talk to Iris Rankin, an intuitive coach and wild woman whose quest for personal transformation asked her to literally create loss in her life. Also on the show, a listener wants to know how to let go of past mistakes and choices, and I'll touch on why grief rituals are super important for our hearts, minds, and bodies through the lens of the Pulse nightclub shooting, coming up on its one-year anniversary on June 12th. I'm Shelby Forsythia, an intuitive grief guide who gives people the tools, space, and support to come back to life after loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to equip others with the knowledge to heal and remind them that they are not alone. Because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Coming Back. Just a little invitation for you at the top of the show. I have just opened up my online Facebook group, the grief growers garden to people outside of Chicago. So you can join me and a lovely community of people who are committed to growing through grief beyond this weekly podcast. We'll share photos and drawings and ask questions about working through grief. And we talk about just what it means to live a full life, inclusive of the losses we experience I've also created an ongoing document in there that we've called Resources for Life After Loss, and it's full of books and movies and podcasts related to coming back to life after loss. So if you're looking for suggestions for your reading list, or maybe a good TV series to start watching with someone who's just lost something, it's a really great place to find resources and support like that. And just so you know, the Grief Growers Garden is a private Facebook group, so anything that you share with the group will not be seen by your friends on Facebook. So if you're looking for a place besides your family and besides your friends to share your story and get some support, it's a wonderful place to get started. And again, you can find it on Facebook by searching the Grief Growers Garden. I'm a fan of alliteration. Um, The name of the group is also in the show notes if you're thinking about it and you're driving and want to come back to it later. Today, I want to talk to you about the importance of ritual. Ritual is the regular physical practice of honoring something that has happened. It's hitting pause in the everyday to remember or celebrate or to call attention to something that is really important. It can be as small as lighting a candle by yourself once a week, or as big as an internationally publicized moment of silence. We can create our own rituals or participate in the rituals that are created by others. I was scrolling through Instagram the other day and I saw a post that said, just a quick note to say, that while we're celebrating Pride Month, we need to remember and honor the victims of last year's pulse attack. On June 12th, it'll be a year since it happened and I haven't seen anything about it yet and I feel like it's important to talk about it. Don't forget about it and don't forget it happened on Latin night and most of the victims were Latinx. I was reminded that Pride Month isn't just one big LGBT party. And I was also reminded how close we are to June 12th. And I was also reminded how incredibly important it is to create rituals around the losses that happen in our lives. I was so touched by this one paragraph call for a ritual. Why do we need to remember why do we need rituals? First of all, rituals honor the people who died, the places that changed, and the ideas that we lost. In the case of the Pulse nightclub shooting, this manifests as reading out the names of the people that we lost, mourning the fact that an Orlando icon had its legacy forever changed by this event, and Recognizing that on June 12th, 2016, our ideas of safety, security, and progress were shattered, especially in the LGBT and Latinx communities. Grief upends our entire world and worldview. Public rituals often remind us that we're not the only ones who are grieving. Campaigns like Orlando United and We Stand with Orlando emphasize the magnitude of grief experienced by people outside of ourselves. Rituals help us see that our pain matters greatly and that it can be placed into the context of a larger societal pain. The LGBT community, the Latinx community, the Orlando community, the American community, the global community, these are all communities that felt their own kind of pain following the massacre. And rituals help us recognize, on all levels, what each community has lost. The second reason we need rituals is because rituals mark time, and progress, and growth. We humans are really big fans of seeing how far we've come. Rituals aren't just for remembering, but for marking time and for showing growth since something has happened. What's been done in the time that's passed since? what has been created, what has changed, what looks different than it used to. A quick Google search of the Pulse nightclub shootings anniversary told me that elected officials in Orlando have declared June 12th Orlando United Day, a day of love and kindness, where in addition to the memorial ceremonies and the art shows and the public speeches, everyone in the community is encouraged to continue the legacy of the beautiful souls that were killed that day by doing something kind for someone else. Actions and declarations like this event show us that we've made something from our deepest losses. We remember and we're moving forward. We honor everything and everyone we lost by living our lives in the present. And we are kind, 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 inclusive of the deep, searing pain that we felt. The last reason I really love rituals and why they're so important to us is because rituals give voice to people who are still grieving. Rituals remind us and pull us back to a place of grieving. By nature, they take us back to that place of first hearing the news, of first feeling the death of something we loved, and of first knowing that our lives were going to be changed forever. Rituals remind us that it's okay to grieve in the future tense and that grief doesn't stop or ease up just because time has continued. Rituals surrounding the pulse shooting validate parents and partners and family and friends of those who died because they are grieving and they will continue to grieve for the rest of their lives. Rituals assure us that we have not forgotten and we will never forget because being forgotten is a huge, huge source of pain ceremonies and memorials even sharing posts on on facebook and instagram and twitter and wherever else you share about this one year anniversary of pulse it hands people the microphone and says what is this still like for you we see you we've not forgotten we are grieving too this morning as i record this episode i'm performing my own ritual I've got my favorite candle lit. I've pulled up a video from the Orlando Sentinel that reads out the names and bios of each of the victims of the Pulse shooting. As their names are read, I'm doing nothing else. Just sitting. Just being present and highly aware of the people we lost that day. Their faces. Their stories. Noticing how much I have in common with these humans that I never got to know in this lifetime. If you're remembering the pulse shooting this weekend, my heart is with you. I am so sorry for everything that you've lost. Your loved ones, your belief in safety, your trust in the progress that we've made over the years. You are not alone. This is the power of ritual, you guys. So, what are you remembering, celebrating, or memorializing this week? Our bodies know something has changed. Our minds know that our world is different. Our hearts definitely know that we have lost. What are you remembering to remember? Tell us at 312. or by emailing shelby at shelbyforsythia.com Up next, I'll answer a listener question about what letting go really looks like after loss. Lynn from California wrote in this week with the following question. Dear Shelby, mistakes and choices I've made are tied into my grief. How do I move on from that? Because I just keep beating myself up and getting nowhere. Ah, Lynn, you've hit on a very big subject in the world of grief. Self-love. When I was being trained as a grief recovery specialist, we talked about doing the work of grief recovery on yourself. It's a deeper process because even with time and participation and the support of others, it often seems simpler to heal our relationships with other people than it does to heal our relationships with ourselves. I.e. it can be easier to forgive someone who didn't accept you than it is to not accept yourself. It can be easier to come to terms with the fact that someone cheated on you than to come to terms with the fact that you cheated on someone else. It can be easier to come out of a major loss loving someone who hurt you than to love the myriad of ways that you've hurt yourself. From the way that you've phrased your question, it sounds like you're doing a lot of what I like to call mind circling, and I use this a lot in my live events, and that is replaying and rehashing and reexamining your loss from all possible angles, and this is so, so common. And a lot of what comes with that are the feelings of if only I'd said this, or I wish I didn't do that. And I should have XYZ. And these are just the things on the nicer side of the spectrum. We also call ourselves names. We also cannot believe the atrocities that we have committed throughout our lives. And we make ourselves very vocally known in our heads. And one of my clients actually referred to this the mind circling as the time machine syndrome, wishing we could go back and change what we did or what we said, or didn't do or didn't say. Why do we blame ourselves in the midst of our losses? Why do we think that thinking about what we should have could have would have changes anything about what actually happened? Why do we choose to beat ourselves up instead of, like you wrote, Lynn, letting it go? Because if we're not programmed for self-love, which most of us aren't, it's our default to beat ourselves up. It's our default to keep ourselves on the line for our griefs. It's our default to let the fault and the blame and the mistakes lie with us. It's our default to let our choices haunt us. Our society has programmed us for blame and guilt and shame about the mistakes and the choices that we've made. We focus a lot on looking back, not necessarily to reflect and to review, but to figure out what we could have done differently. And in business in sales and finances and in politics, this is actually really helpful. Even in relationships, sometimes this is helpful. But it turns into the agony and the self-hatred of mind circling when we don't know what the heck to do with all the mistakes and the choices and the screw ups that we've identified that we've made. We can quote unquote, make things better in the future by living our lives with our mistakes in mind, remembering how we've hurt others and ourselves and choosing differently. But what about all the times in the past when we weren't as good at living with our mistakes in mind, because we hadn't made them yet? What if we hurt people we really didn't mean to? What if we irreversibly changed the course of our lives? What if if we could just change that one thing? We know our whole lives would be totally different. Ah, oh, My darling grief growers. This is the time when we need to turn looking back into coming back. And how do we do that? I so, I so hate the phrase, let it go. Like it's just some, all right, let it go. Thank you so much. I feel so much better. Why didn't I think of that action to take? If letting go was easy, if we knew how to do it, we would have done it by now. So here's what I'll tell you, Lynn. Quote unquote, letting it go is a daily, lifelong practice. It is self-love that grows with time and patience, and knowing that, like Brene Brown wrote, we are all doing the best that we can, all the time. Period. The mind circling stops when you say to yourself, pause. Okay. That really sucked, and I know it seems like we do a lot better now if we could live the situation all over again, but I know that we did the best that we could with the information we had at the time. I... Forgive you. I'm so sorry that I've been tormenting you with this. I'm with you. I love you. And yes, it sounds incredibly awkward at the beginning. Your brain's like, oh, here she is with the butterflies and the cuddles and the baking cookies together shit. But with repetition and awareness of the thoughts that are popping into your brain through meditation or breathing or just mindfully walking it becomes second nature. You're making new connections in your brain. Connections from self-loathing and that mind circling and that agony and that beating yourself up to self-loving. Try this reframing in your brain. It takes less than five minutes to do. Start with the situation, the mistake you're going back to over and over again in your brain. Give it a time and a place You can even give yourself a name or a title. Tell them that you see them. Tell them what you learned from them. Thank them for the lessons that they've given you. Apologize for beating them up now, still. Forgive them for the consequences that they have left you with. Tell them you're with them. Tell them. You love them. To eating disorder Shelby from college, who'd gained 60 pounds and was trying to please all the wrong people. I see you. I know now that you were a part of my life and my story because I needed to learn to cope with uncertainty in healthier ways. Thank you for waking me up. Thank you for riding the big fat wave of the unknown with me. I am so sorry that I've been calling you sad, ugly, selfish, and naive. I forgive you for the choices that you made then that affect the body that we share today. I'm with you. I love you. To bad date Shelby, who ghosted people online and had one-night stands when she really shouldn't have, I see you. I know now that you were a part of my life and my story because I needed to learn how to treat people and I needed to learn that I was deserving of the same kindness and love that I so craved from others. I'm sorry I've been calling you reckless, shitty, shallow, and cold. I forgive you for the choices that you made that affect the relationships I have today. I am with you. I love you to really angry Shelby who screamed at her dad at her mom's wake about how it wasn't fair that her girlfriend wasn't welcome at the house when her sister's boyfriend was. Oh God, I see you. I know now that you are part of my life and my story because I needed to learn that my voice is important, but there is a place and a time to use it. And there are better methods than yelling to prove your worth. I'm sorry I've been calling you righteous, childish, cruel, and stubborn. I forgive you for the choices that you made that affect the worldview that I have today. I am with you. I love you. How would you speak to a friend? that made some mistakes in the past? How would you speak to yourself as a child at five, six, eight? Would you keep punishing them for their decisions? Would you keep reminding them of everything that they could have done different or better or more? Of course not. Not if you wanted to stay friends. Not if you wanted to nurture a lasting relationship with them. Not if you wanted them to feel safe and seen and loved with you. So give this gift to yourself. The gift of reprogramming your brain. One day at a time. It's letting go, but it's letting go one day at a time. From looking back to coming back. From self-loathing to self-loving. We all experience loss. And we all make mistakes and missteps and downright crappy decisions in the midst of our losses. But we don't have to live in them, repeat them, rehash them, if we consciously decide to love ourselves through them, not despite them, through them because of them, with them. Lynn, my greatest wish for you is that through these statements to yourself, you can catch glimpses of what it's like to know that self-loving. I've got chills right now because I know what I've felt through these exercises and that's the same exact feeling I want for you. Your mistakes and your choices have defined you and your life today, but beating yourself up for making them doesn't change your life, or even how you feel about yourself. So start with changing how you feel about yourself. Love your past self, inclusive of the mistakes and the choices that she's made in the midst of loss. Grieve what your life could have been if you hadn't made those mistakes. That's worth doing. Then keep flexing that small but mighty muscle of self-love. It only grows with use and with practice. And get ready, Lynn, to let go of that mind circling that weighs you down. I see you. I am proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world. And I love you. Thank you so much for writing in. If you're looking for a quick way to stop your own mind circling, check out my free meditation called Breathing Room for the Brain. It's available at shelbyforsythia.com. Just click online courses at the top. It'll take you through what I like to call a surrender and summon visualization. Basically, it's mentally laying down everything that you're tired of carrying in order to pick up what you really do want to carry around in your brain. It's helpful in the midst of grief when your mind can take you to that circling place of blaming you, your mistakes, and your choices for everything that's happened. And the best part of it is, it's only eight minutes. If you've discovered a self-love trick that stopped you from beating yourself up, leave a voicemail for the show at 312-725-3043 or email shelby at shelbyforsythia.com. We would love to hear your tips. You can also ask your own question to be featured on the show, again, by leaving a voicemail at 312-725-3043 or emailing shelby at shelbyforsythia.com. And you can find both of those contacts in the show notes. Next up, we'll talk to Wild Woman Iris Rankin about her adventures and coming back from a loss that she created. Iris Rankin is an intuitive personal coach who helps women grant themselves permission to be fully seen and how their most harmonious notes out loud. The basis of her coaching business, Project Intention, is all about wholehearted wildness, which means tapping into our greatest capacity for self-love, self-expression, and utilizing our own intuitive knowing to guide our lives with purpose. Iris lives at 11,000 feet outside of Breckenridge, Colorado, and when she's not coaching, she's generally out cross-country skiing, hiking, or trail running with her dog Fenton, or cooking nourishing food inside her kitchen. You can find her work at projectintention.com. This interview was recorded via phone.
1: So Iris, let's jump in with, with your lost story. Where would you like to start?
2: Yeah, so I guess the best place to start would be a couple years ago. So I would say in terms of my own loss story, I haven't had uh, what people generally think of in terms of grief. You know, I haven't had that devastating loss that, you know, really rips you open. The type that normally is accompanied with the death of a really close loved one. But um, the last several years, I guess I've had what you could call like everyday heartbreak. Um, And I think that there's loss related in that, too. And, you know, there was something that you said, which is that grief is something that we all experience, you know, and it may look different for different people, but it's a sure part of the human experience, whether you, you know, have had devastating loss or not. We all lose things at one time or another. So for me, most of this has to do with the grief that you experience when you're in a time of intense personal transformation and you mourn the loss of the life you otherwise would have had. So the last few years, I, uh, I had been living in Boulder, Colorado, and my partner and I moved to Alaska, uh, this just remote, rural fishing town um, on the coast. And after a few months of that, we moved back to Colorado. And then after a few months of that, we moved back, we moved to Montana. And um, and then we moved back to Colorado again. And I think I lived in at least seven different houses or apartments during just two or so years. Um, so wow. yeah, so it's a lot of change. And even when it feels exciting and invigorating to be moving on to this new step into your life and to be traveling 4,000 miles across the country, um, there can still be this sense of loss. You know, you're you're leaving friends behind and um, and jobs, even really good jobs, and Ways of being too, like you're just shedding your skin as you're moving from place to place. And it's, it's sort of impossible not to have personal change happen um, when you're moving that often and just kind of thrown into all of these different situations. So I would say that while I was in this place of intense personal transformation, um, I just kind of felt that I was changing to the point that I couldn't fit myself inside my old life anymore and um, one of the things that was included in that was um, my relationship there's mourning that happens with that sort of change I ended up ending a seven-year relationship and I mean I'm 27 now and so that's that's a really large portion of my life you know to have seven years with um, this one person and and there's that That feeling of leaving your best friend, you know, leaving a certain sense of security and, you know, putting aside what you would have thought would have been uh, a particular future. And so even though you know you're making a choice that is aligned with your heart, grief is still there and you have to let yourself feel that grief. Um, and I, I guess, around that time is when I really started thinking about loss because it surprised me. I, I didn't, up until that point, I didn't realize that that loss could be something that you you create in your own life. I I would say in terms of grief, a lot of the time we think of things that are taken away from us. Um, Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think it is that way, but I think that there's this other kind of grief too when when you consciously make a choice to leave something behind, um, the loss may still be there, even if it even if some part of you knows this is this is the right step to take.
1: I'm curious. As you're talking, you've you've dropped the phrase personal transformation a lot. I'm wondering what that looked like internally for you, and kind of when you were realized, when you realized you were in this place of personal transformation like was it after a couple of moves or all of a sudden things started moving period and then you were like oh my gosh something is happening internally or what what kind of happened because I'm I'm hearing the the catchphrase personal transformation and I'm also getting a sense that during this time you were physically but also maybe emotionally mentally spiritually uprooted it it sounds like there wasn't like a landing place
2: for you definitely Um... I would say that the transformation really was catalyzed by the move. Um, I, I didn't make a lot of major moves. And so before we were having this big experience of going to Alaska and going to Colorado and going to Montana and coming back to Colorado, before that happened, we had been in Boulder for six years. So, you know, we, we were really rooted um, and it felt like it was a good time to make a change, but things were just, they were tumultuous, you know, when you, um, and I, I think that it's a good and necessary part of your twenties to kind of live in strange places and, and with, with different people. But just the fact of being such a homebody personally and having to move, you know, sometimes for a few of those moves i had to move every 3 weeks and so you you like almost get settled in a place and then and then you kind of have to pull yourself back out of it again to move on to something else i would say in terms of personal transformation i had always been such a rooted person that this was a chance to feel what you know flight feels like and sometimes flight feels like you're catching air beneath your wings and sometimes it feels like you're crashing straight into the ground, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in terms of specifics, um, the transformation, part of what happened in that transformation was really a greater finding of purpose. And I would say that in experimenting with different places to live and with different things that I was doing, I I did a, a yoga teacher training during that time, and that really, that really shifted my internal landscape. Um, I have always been an atheist, and then I was having all these kind of spiritual feelings and not sure what to do with that and not sure how that would fit into my relationship. And also realizing that I wanted to take some of these new personal insights and figure out a way that I could use it use them to be of service to other people for
1: sure and i know that you said the breakup was kind of i don't know i don't know if i want to say like at the tail end of all the moves or at the tail end of the transformation but it sounds like that was kind of like a bookend for everything that was happening i and i know that you said that that surprised you and i want to talk more about the idea of choosing or creating loss in our lives what was it about what was changing in your life that that led you to that decision, and then talk a little bit about kind of the the surprise of that, the unexpected darkness or joy or release or uh, the emotions that that came
2: with that. Yeah. So as I was kind of mentioning, the changing as how I was seeing myself and how I was showing up in the world. I at at the time I really just was feeling like those new parts of me were too big or expanding too quickly outward to fit within how our relationship really was showing up and it's just in terms of loss it, it was it was something that i really felt needed to happen in order to meet, for me to step into a new doorway of purpose you know to get to a new a new level i really i really had to see be how I could expand outward on my own it's one of those things where I fought with it for you know probably a year with that decision I even though even though my my heart just kept saying like it's time it's time you have to let it go and I just didn't I didn't want to and I think that that's you know that's really something that's embedded in grief is that we have to come to terms with eventually letting go of things that at some point or another we don't want to let go of Mm -hmm. and I guess in terms of the surprise I was surprised that I could grieve something that I had created because in some ways you think oh well if I'm stepping into my purpose it must feel good Um, but it doesn't always you know and a lot of um, a lot of stepping into your purpose feels really challenging and i think heartbreak can definitely be a part of that
1: it's hard a lot of the time for people from the outside looking in to see your experience as multifaceted and that's one of the things that gravers struggle with the most is that this experience is multifaceted and nobody nobody gets that i want to know diving deep into your purpose and releasing this relationship of your own choice, of your own creation, what was it that called you to that purpose? What was it that called you
2: to come back? When we were in Alaska, so um, during our, our first move, I had a lot of extra time on my hands. And so I really started thinking about What might this look like in the world? And so at the time, I didn't really know what it would evolve into. It's since evolved into my personal coaching business. But at the time, it was really just starting to share these deeper truths that I was starting to uncover and wanting to bring them to other people and realizing that if I'm telling people to face their challenges wholeheartedly I, I had to do it myself too and so I think that was the greater impetus there
1: so talk about how this experience in your life has evolved into or fed or nourished the business that exists for you now because it sounds like part of your coming back from this was the process of creating something new so as something else for lack of a better term, dies something else is born, um, and it's not necessarily stronger or better, but it is different and more aligned with who
2: you want to be in the world. Yeah, I would say one of the things that I read right around um, the time of that breakup, I I had read Women Who Run with the Wolves by Clarissa Pinkola Estes. <laughs> And on, on, on that on that day, I had opened the book at random, and the story that came up was seal skin, soul skin. Just so to <laughs> kind of paraphrase the story as short as I can, um, there are these seal women who are out playing, and a fisherman sees them and he steals one of the one of the seal skins. And he keeps it hostage from the woman, tells her to come and live with him. But he does promise that after seven years, he will give her back her sealskin. Seven years come and they pass and they've had a son together. And over this time, as she's been away from the sea and as he's held her sealskin, soulskin hostage, she... Withers, you know, she gets this limp, and she starts going blind, and um, she's really disconnected from this life source. And eventually, her son is able to steal the soul skin and bring it to her. And in bringing her the soul skin, she can come back down into um, into the waters and be with her seal family. But while she's in the water and she gets all of that vitality back into her, she's still looking back up and feeling the loss for um, this son who can never come down into the depths with her. And that story itself, I think, has so, so much that is profound and related to grief. And in my own particular story you know, for a time, I think I set aside my my soul skin. It's just been this, this process of returning to my own skin, that creative energy, you know, the things that really um, make me feel good in my body and my mind every day. Knowing that, that when when I'm returning to my skin is when I'm feeling most alive and most myself. And um, that has translated into my coaching because I really want other women to be able to feel this feeling as well. And um, I talk a lot about wildness in my writings and in my coaching calls. It's, it's really that, that element of coming back to your truest part of yourself. And it's also literally connecting. With nature, which um, I think for a lot of people is really helpful when dealing with law and also really getting in touch with our voices, our personal voice as the woman and um, and the and the wild aspect of that. what do you think is wild about grace? It's raw what's wild about grief is that it we can't ignore it you know there are many many things that we choose to ignore in our lives and that in itself is its own kind of domestication but when you experience loss especially profound loss um, it just stares you back in the face and you can't ignore it and part of what's staring back at you is is your yourself and and really the darkest parts of yourself and also these these tender not yet sort of seeded parts of yourself too and and I would say also in terms of voice and wildness, grief I think helped you find more of your voice. I. Oh my gosh, that was just so
1: beautifully said. I've got chills over here because <laughs> that was so that was so cool. And and I agree 100% with with everything that you said because there is something absolutely unignorable about grief. We can try and stuff it away or watch Netflix away or pray it away or you know, all these things we do to try and avoid experiencing everything about grief. Not just the pain, but just like the depth of it and i so agree that there is something so wild and unignorable about about loss what does your life look like and feel like now with this loss and your personal transformation kind of including in it so what's what's different about you about your work about your relationships between pre and post
2: I would say a a lot. Um, I don't necessarily know that this applies to all grief, but in this particular situation and in, in the situations where you have to give something up in order to step into this greater next sense of yourself, a part of you has to die or a part of what you're doing has to die. I was thinking about this the other day and I just feel... So much freer having allowed myself to fully process um, that particular loss. And I think that that will in turn make me more resilient for other probably more devastating losses that will come in my life. And I would say, you know, as, as far as with that particular relationship, my partner and I ended up getting back together this winter. Uh, a part of our relationship and each of our identities had to die in order for us to move forward. And that's not a bad thing. And so in some ways, it's really, it's really just refreshing and welcoming to know that now we're reunited this time as whole people contributing to one cause rather than two fragmented people trying to fit into something that didn't fit us anymore. And then, you know, I would say too that, that that experience, that that loss and the coming back is informing, you know, how I'm dealing with other aspects of, of grief. And so I would say in my current in my current life, um, the thing that I'm grieving um is that my father was diagnosed with dementia this winter. And, you know, there's this that you really love gradually losing integral parts of themselves and parts of their personality before your eyes. And and I would say that. Having sort of learned how to grieve before, it's helping me now, and um, I think one of the hardest parts about this is that that resentment, you know, of. Of losing someone kind of before you, that they're alive but not really fully themselves. Um, mm-hmm. That resentment gets in the way sometimes, but you know. But I've been learning to give myself grace and to just give myself heaps of self-forgiveness, you know, because that sort of thing makes you feel like a terrible, terrible daughter. But also, part of part of grief is just letting yourself feel everything (laughs) and just accepting all that you're feeling. So I I would say that 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 previous loss is kind of informing how I am now and really the, I think in some ways, you're just building this kind of self-resilience and also the capacity, you know, as we were talking about, Grief not letting you ignore it. It's like once you experience grief and you really look it in the eyes, you can't ignore that part of yourself. I think that that's something that you can take in other areas of your life too. Um, And so you can um, really be more conscious about not numbing yourself or shutting down in other areas. And so I would say that that's kind of how things have shown up Recently, and I would also say um, that the other way that grief has been a part of my life since then is holding space for others who are grieving, who are losing losing these certain parts of themselves that you know they're they know it's time to let go of, but you know maybe there's still some resistance and sadness about losing that anyway. Really having myself as a person who can give give people time and space to process these changes that they're having.
1: That's perfect. That's so lovely. Well, I want to hear uh, in your words, what are the, the big projects that you're working on and where can where can people find more about your work if they're interested in being, being wild if they're interested in applying wildness to grief, or if they're interested in just nourishing that that muscle of self-compassion that so many of us have that are underdeveloped.
2: Yeah. So I'm an intuitive personal coach and what that means is I use my own intuition to help guide you through your own transformation, but more so I help you in the process of cultivating your own intuition. I do sort of shorter strategy sessions for coaching, and I also do long-term six-month coaching engagements. Um, But what I am uh, just releasing this month is uh, just a one-session coaching uh, engagement, and it's called Meet Your Inner Wild Woman. Uh, Meet Your Inner Wild Woman is an hour-long call that we do together, and the beginning of the call is a guided visualization where you come to a wild landscape and you meet your inner wild woman, and this is the part of you that is most connected to your values and your purpose and um, really kind of this, this guiding direction for what you want in your life. Um, and then for the rest of the call we kind of unpack what what you see in that meeting with your inner wild woman and really see how that will inform your action steps so it has those these three parts of the visualization and really the the one-on-one coaching and leaving the call with some concrete action steps that are informed by purpose and and really help you feel like you're showing up in the world in the way that you want to. So if anyone is interested, you can find uh, that particular um, offering at projectintention.com slash So support
1: your work in, in wildness. And thank you so, so much for coming on the show today, Iris. I've just been so excited to connect with you and to have you here.
2: Thank you so much, Shelby. It's been a pleasure, truly.
0: So that's a wrap for this episode of Coming Back. Thank you so, so much to Iris Rankin, who came back by listening to her heart's voice and drawing wild wisdom from the book Women Who Run With the Wolves. You can find her work again at projectintention.com slash wildwoman join my private facebook group the grief growers garden for tools stories and support between wednesday episodes if you're struggling with mind circling or want to bring more self-love into your life check out my free online meditation called breathing room for the brain over at shelbyforsythia.com click online courses thank you always 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 to the amazing talented Addie goldstein for composing our music you can find me on Facebook at Shelby Forsythia, Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at griefguide Shelby forsythia or simply shelbyforsythia.com. If you loved what you heard today on the podcast, or you'd like to leave a question or a comment for a future show, leave me a voicemail at 312-725-3043 or email me at shelby at shelbyforsythia.com subject line podcast. As always, it was beautiful sharing space and time with you today. I see you. I'm proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world, and I love you, because even through grief, we are growing.